The reading today is actually four short readings. The words from various mystics on music. The first is from the 13th century Sufi poet Rumi. God picks up the reed flute world and blows. Each note is a need coming through one of us, a passion, a longing, pain. Remember the lips where the wind breath originated and let your note be clear. Don't try to end it, be your note. I'll show you how it's enough. Go up on the roof at night in this city of the soul. Let everyone climb up on their roofs and sing their notes. Sing loud. And this from Thomas Aquinas, the 13th century Catholic theologian. How is it they live for eons in such harmony, the billions of stars, when humans can barely go a minute without declaring war in their mind against someone they know? There are wars where no one marches with a flag, though that does not keep the casualties from mounting. How can we live in harmony? First, we need to know we are all madly in love with the same God. This is from Rabia of Basra, a female Islamic saint of the 8th, 8th century. It acts like love, music, it reaches toward the face, touches it, and tries to let you know God's promise that all will be okay. It acts like love, music, and tells the feet, you do not have to be so burdened. So amazing, this choir of socks, shoes, shirts, undergarments, earth, sky, suns, and moons. No wonder I too now sing all day. And our final selection from Kabir, a 15th century Hindu mystic. Your body is a divine stream, as is your spirit. When your two great rivers merge, one voice is found and the earth applauds in excitement. Shrines are erected to those songs the hand and heart have sung as they serve the world with a love, a love we cherish. Well, there was an article in the New York Times back in January by Leslie Kaufman called Therapists Report Increases in Green Disputes. Here's some, of the, uh, some excerpts from that article. Gordon Fleming is, by his own account, an environmentally sensitive guy. He bikes 12 and a half miles to and from his job at a software company outside Santa Barbara, California. He recycles as much as possible and takes reusable bags to the grocery store. Fleming says his girlfriend, Shelley, is in a high priestess phase of environmentalism, <laughs> which includes raising chickens at their home in Santa Barbara. Shelley feels her boyfriend, Fleming, has not gone far enough. She chides him for running the water too long while he shaves or showers. She finds it depressing, she tells him, that he continues to buy a steady stream of items online when her aim is for them to lead a less materialistic life. Mr. Fleming lately refuses to go out to eat sushi with Shelley because he says he cannot stand to hear her quiz the waiters. 
therapists say that as awareness of environmental concerns grows, they are seeing a rise in bickering between couples and family members over the extent to which they should change their lives to save the planet. In households across the country, green lines are being drawn between those who insist on wild salmon and those who buy farmed, those who calculate their carbon footprint and those who remain indifferent. As the focus on climate increases in the public's mind, says a psychologist in Portland, Oregon, who deals with environmental issues, it touches every part of how we live, what we eat, whether we want to fly, what kind of vacation we want. While no study has documented how frequent these clashes have become, therapists agree that the green issue can quickly become poisonous because it's so morally charged. Cheryl Petso, who lives in Seattle, says trips to her parents in Idaho can be tense because she and her mother interpret each other's choices as judgmental. If Ms. Petso pre prepares a vegan meal for the family, her parents prepare hot dogs to go alongside. <laughs> her parents serve on throwaway styrofoam plates. She grabs a plate that can be cleaned and reused. Her mother, who says she prefers the way food tastes when it's, when it's served on styrofoam, <laughs> notes that washing dishes has its own environmental costs. Linda Bazell, a family and marriage therapist and co-editor of Ecotherapy, Healing with Nature in Mind, says the danger arises when one person undergoes an environmental waking up process before the others, leaving a new values gap between them. Ms. Bazell suggests that we can overcome such differences if we treat each other gently. She advises partners who have a newfound passion for the issue to change only a few things at a time and provide lots of explanation. It's like exercise, Ms. Bazell says, take it slowly. <laughs> Therapists have seen divorces among couples who realize that their values are putting them on very different long-term trajectories. Gordon Fleming back in Santa Barbara says he's not quite at that point, but he has drawn some firm lines. He continues to make purchases on eBay although he immediately breaks down the delivery boxes and puts them in the recycling bin to avoid scrutiny. <laughs> and unless his girlfriend Shelley can make peace with his long hot showers, the issue may someday be a deal breaker. I like to see the water pouring down, he said, utterly unrepentant. <laughs> I mentioned this article to a member of our church community last week, and she said, yeah, I totally get it. She said, my partner makes sure all our personal care and, and household products, cleaning products, are completely natural, homemade if possible. And that's great. I'm in favor. But I'm sorry when it comes to getting windows really clean, nothing works as well as Windex. <laughs> so I was hiding my bottle of Windex in a paper bag <laughs> in a corner under the sink <laughs> till it was found and thrown out. A new spin on chemical dependency. Sustainable living is our theme for the month of March. Sustainable living can be about saving our planet home. It can also be about getting along, which isn't always easy. Back in the days when Universalists shocked the Christian world by getting rid of hell, people would ask us, if we're all going to heaven, no matter how we behave, what does it matter how we treat each other? What's to keep us from being really nasty? And we'd respond, no, no, that's not it at all. 
You see, if there's no hell, then it's really important how we behave. Since we'll all be stuck with each other in heaven, we'd better get, <laughs> learn to get along while we're here on earth. Several years ago, it's another getting along story. Several years ago, the police in Fort Lupton, Colorado, launched a program aimed at townsfolk, mostly young men it turned out to be, who break the noise ordinance with their high-powered woofers and the rap thundering out of their car speakers. The police didn't want to slap these young people with a big fine or put them in jail, so instead they assigned them to a detention room on a weeknight where they have to sit up straight and listen to court-ordered music for a full hour. <laughs> Selections might include the Barney theme song, <laughs> Roy Rogers and Dale Evans' Happy Trails to You, <laughs> Wayne Newton's Donka Shane, <laughs> Disney's This Old Man, there may be some bagpipes, a polka number, a Karen Carpenter ballad, <laughs> and the writers of the Purple Sage doing a yodeling number. <laughs> At some point, they'll get some of Beethoven's fifth for nourishment. And if the offenders chew gum or yawn or laugh or talk or fall asleep, they are cited for contempt of court. <laughs> this program has worked surprisingly well. <laughs> Even kids who previously were multiple offenders after this aren't seen in court again. After his hour-long ordeal in the music room, 17-year-old David Mascarenas said, I took my stereo out already. I'm not jamming. I don't want to be hassled no more. <laughs> the purpose of the program isn't to punish so much as to teach empathy. It's about the golden rule. It's not good to force your music on others. We have to learn to get along while we're here on Earth. I have a list called How to Build Community. I've abridged it a little. I discovered this list on the back of a bathroom door. It's from an organization called the Syracuse Cultural Workers. It's a great organization, a 30-year-old group devoted to nurturing the earth and all its creatures. Here's most of the list, how to build community. Leave your house. <laughs> know your neighbors. Look up when you're walking. Sit on your stoop. Use your library. Buy from local merchants. Garden together. Share your skills. Support neighborhood schools. Fix it even if you didn't break it. Honor elders. Pick up litter. Read stories aloud. Open your shades. Talk to the mail carrier. Put up a swing. Help carry something heavy. Hire young people for odd jobs. Bake extra and share. Take back the night. Turn up the music. Turn down the music. Sing together. Learn from new and uncomfortable angles. Know that no one is silent, though many are not heard. Work to change this. <coughs> how to build community. St. Thomas Aquinas asks, how can we live in harmony? 
First, we need to know we are all madly in love with the same God. Are we in love with the same God? Maybe if God is life, love, peace, fulfillment, maybe deep down, below consciousness, beyond language where we really are one gene pool, one species, one collective organism, where we are humans, basically, who breathe and bleed. As someone put it, there's only one church and your membership is your belly button. <laughs> the differences in our popular song tastes won't go away, hip-hop versus polka, but when we can get together on the deeper song, that's a treasure. Are we in love with the same God? In the deep down river of the soul, I like to think so. Where what we crave is health and happiness and usefulness and good things for our children and not to be alone. What we need is a community that sings about those things. And that, dear friends, is what we have. Lucky us. It's a rare and priceless thing we have. Kabir says, your body is a divine stream, as is your spirit. When, when your two great rivers merge, one voice is found, and the earth applauds in excitement. Shrines are erected to those songs the hand and heart have sung, as they serve the world with love. Shrines are erected to those songs, and sometimes the shrines look like this. Here's a shrine. Here's a shrine. I want to read the part of the foreword to Singing the Journey supplement, our brand new shiny teal supplement. Uh, words from the Reverend William Sinkford, then president of our Unitarian Universalist Association when the book came out. He says, it is my great pleasure to introduce this new resource for congregational worship. Singing in community brings us together and lets us know that we can raise a clear and unified voice and we know that a congregation that loves to sing is almost always a vital and strong religious community. Singing helps our heady faith find its loving heart. There are centuries and continents of heart and soul in these two books, these shrines, these scriptures, and we can hold them in our hands. The gray hymnal in our hymnal rack, the one that came to us in the early 90s, nearly two decades ago. The songs in there have shaped us, shaped an era, shaped a people. 20 years, and who would we be without these songs? Songs that bring us together, gathered here in the mystery of the hour. Songs like, here we are gathered, gathered side by side, circle of kinship, come and step inside. So welcoming. Songs that give us strength for the task, we are a gentle, angry people, and we're singing, singing for our lives. In the 1960s civil rights era, some of us remember, singing fortified the marchers and made them unstoppable. The police beat them, sprayed them, hauled them to jail, and their singing never stopped. Ain't gonna let nobody turn me round, they sang, and nobody did. 
Singing together, we're reminded that truth is symphonic. So we need all our voices. Our best hunch now is that the universe itself is a great song. Physicists tell us that the universe is not made of stuff, but of vibrations, like vibrations of violin strings or human vocal cords. For thousands of years, the yogis have been right. At the center of existence is the sound of the great Om. We have fallen into the place, says Rumi, where everything is music. When we go up to the rooftops of our souls and sing loud, we are part of that great song. Our singing reminds us that we're not alone and reminds our feet that they need not be so burdened. Our singing reminds us that we are made to bless each other. As we sang today, may love surround you with warm, gentle arms. May love surround you and keep you from harm. And as we sing, every time we gather, go now in peace. Our singing assures us that when we leave this place, we're still connected. We practice singing together so we can keep the song going when we're apart. I just saw again the film Shawshank Redemption, where Andy Dufresne, though innocent of crime, that's Tim Robbins, innocent of crime, spends decades in a New England prison. And at one point, Andy rather recklessly hooks up a record player to the public address system and blasts classical music out over the prison yard for the men to hear, to make their day. And for that, the guards give Andy two weeks in the hole, in solitary. And when he comes out, he tells his inmate buddy it was the easiest time he's ever done because he had Mr. Mozart to keep him company. His buddy says, they let you tote that record player down there? And no, Andy says, it's in here and it's in here. He says, that's the beauty of music. They can't get that from you. Music reminds you that there's something inside they can't get to. They can't touch it. It's yours. What are you talking about? His buddy asks. And Andy says, hope. Hope. It acts like hope, music. It reaches toward the face, touches it, and tries to let you know God's promise that all will be okay. Singing together, we transcend our differences. We sing, we would be one, as now we join in singing. Singing, we tap into joy. Singing, we're reminded that we need guidance. That's what we're asking for when we say, Spirit of life, come unto me. Guide me. Singing, we're reminding, we're reminding ourselves of our great heritage. That old classic, How Can I Keep From Singing? We sang it last week, but how can we keep from singing it again? It's number 108, and by the best guess and recent research, the words were written by a woman, probably Anna Bartlett Warner, born in 1827. The song first appeared in an 1869 collection of Sunday school songs entitled Bright Jewels. As we take the hymnal in our hands, let's pause for a moment and join me, please, in a spirit of prayer. Spirit of life and love and truth, sing in us and through us. Let us be the song, a song of praise, of peace, of brave hope, 
May we find our clear notes and sing loud. Amen.